good morning. It's good to see all of you. It really is. Let's see if this goes here. I. That was rich, a rich time, and here we, we continue to worship. We could say amen, and we could take communion and say amen and be fine. It was, it's been so rich already. I just want to sort of tell you something that you probably already know and remind myself as well, that, yeah, this, looked, this has looked a little different today, and that's on purpose. Um, one of the things that when we get into, we have liturgy, sort of like Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's, the Sabbath is for us. We're not to be captive to it. It's for our benefit. Similar, similar thing with a structure for worship. The structure is not to be a straitjacket, but it's to help us to worship the living God. And so this has been part of that, and it's broken us out a little bit, and it's reminded us too, it's reminded me of something really important, and that is that we are the body of Christ. We here are the redeemed. And you know, it's not hard to see when you get a couple preachers right there, and you got a counselor, freshly trained counselor with a gift. Justin's preaching, Nathaniel's preaching as he anchors. And it just reminds us that it's not about this is the farthest, we want this to be the farthest thing from a performance, and from, from the same thing every week just because that's the way we do it. Nothing wrong with the same, but when that starts to become the only way to do it, then that's a problem. And it's not just about a word preached, it's not just about um, the band up here and then you guys, it's, it's the body coming together to worship the living God. And so experiencing some more of that in a different way today has been a great reminder to me. And, and I got to be honest, the, the Presbyterian in me got a little nervous, you know, when when uh, Justin was just preaching and like praying and just, we were all quiet and there's just time going by and you know, I'm sitting here trying to check my watch. That was good for me. It reminded me of all the things that I just expressed to you and the silence, that quiet, that other side of prayer that we don't do as often where you're just listening to God who's always speaking but we're so often full of noise and hurry that we don't often hear him. And then taking whatever he says back, writing it down, as Justin said, taking it back to his word, taking it to our community. So good. So good for me. Nathaniel shared one thing. I, 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 I'll share. One, the first thing I heard pretty clearly was, so I imagine I'm not the only one that struggles with this, but a lot has been invested in me. And so sometimes I think along the lines with my relationship to God of I need to make sure and make good on that investment for the kingdom. And what I heard, I didn't hear any of that. That's just all baggage. But what I heard was, you're not an investment, you're a son. You're not an investment, you're a son. Now, let me, I just share that because, first of all, (laughs) I mean, it's just amazing. But secondly, it reminds me of the unconditional love of God. That word has the power to set me free and to set me back onto the track that the scriptures take me to, which is Jesus. That's that's so in line with the revelation of God in Christ. So, so testing it, taking it to you guys, putting it in line with the scripture, wow. I mean, so that's, that was just one thing. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing about what he said to y'all. And, and don't let that be a one-time thing, you know. And, and after communion, we will have a time, as we always do, of prayer. But also we'll have Ray up here, we'll have Justin up here, the prayer team, any of our parish leaders, depending on who, how many folks come up. So just more of a time as you listen to God, as he continues to speak through this word, for you to come up and, and allow the body to pray with you and for you over little T traumas, you're processing or not process, processing what's been going on, anything in your life, okay? So that's, 
That's what we are about. All right, let me jump in. Um, so this book, this is, this is it for us in Galatians today. So we're, we're going we're gonna to stop at the end of chapter 5, and there's a chapter 6, but we're, gonna, we're not going to preach it um, in part because next week, Harvey kind of messed things up. Thanks, Harvey. You know, it, it threw us all a curveball, and that's fine. Um, and, and next week we have one, the president of one of our partners called Love146, Rob Norris, is coming to preach uh, to us on, on human trafficking. They fight child trafficking in particular, so I'm really excited about that. So we're finishing here. Um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been amazing. I mean, Paul, again, he, he comes out fighting. This is a, this is a, he's pugnacious for Jesus in this book. Um, he's been trumpeting the pristine, undiluted, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, not diluted by anything other than God saves us fully, does everything necessary for us to know him, to be with him, to redeem us, and to make us his sons and daughters through the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot add to that by your own works. And if you try, you're in trouble with Paul, and you really ruin the gospel. Jesus plus theology. The plus is the danger. There is, it's just Jesus. Jesus is enough. And the whole Hebrew Bible points us to him. He fulfills it all. Um, Matthew 5, 17 and following and elsewhere. Um, so usually, so he's, he's, he's been doing this. He continues to do this. He's been trumpeting Christ in the gospel, trumpeting, trumpeting, blowing that trumpet, fighting with anyone that, that brings in the plus to Jesus. But usually in his letters, he, 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 he always trumpets Christ in the gospel and just proclaims and preaches the wonder of Christ. But then he'll pivot in his letters to now, in light of the gospel, here's church, here's redeemed of God, how you live. Here's how the gospel affects your, your day-to-day life. He doesn't really do that here in this, in this uh, letter. He, so another way of saying that is Paul, to put it in sort of highfalutin theological terms, not really, more grammatical terms, theologians will often talk about the indicative that's followed by the imperative in Paul's letter. So the indicative of Paul is always the beginning of a letter. He front loads his letters with the gospel, the indicative. An indicative is a sentence with a period at the end. It's just a statement. It's a fact. The fact of the matter is Jesus, God has redeemed you in Christ, and he invites you in by faith, period. There's nothing you can do, period. Anything you add is, is, is from hell itself, period. Now, in light of that, do these things. Live this way because of what God has done. And that's the imperative. That's the command. But really, it's mostly just indicative in this letter. And then in this bit, he waxes eloquent on the spirit and the fruit that comes from walking in line with what Christ has done by his Holy Spirit living in us, just as was talked about earlier. And then he basically ends the letter. He has some, a few little pieces of advice at the beginning of chapter 6 and then basically says, peace out in a sort of long way, salutations, say hi to this guy, say bye to that guy, that, which is typical Paul. So what's he saying here? Why, are there no, why aren't there a lot of how-tos? Because basically he is saying in this text this morning that being spilled by the Spirit because of what Jesus has done, the resurrected Christ is alive and reigning, and we are connected to him by faith through his Spirit, and he fills up us. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, is in us, who, we who believe. And he's saying that when you get that and when you have that and when you abide in that, your life is transformed and you don't need any how-tos. That's essentially what he's saying in this book by not saying a bunch of how-tos. And when you compare it with everything, all of his other letters, the how-tos are no longer necessary because we don't, no longer need a teacher, as John says in one of his letters, because we have the Holy Spirit. 
We have the word of God and we have a relationship with God through Jesus. We have been made sons and daughters. We know what to do. We walk with Christ. So, so let's just dive into that. And, and the last thing before getting into point one, the war, is this. Luther, a, a sort of very colorful, Luther is always colorful. He, he's, you could say a lot about Luther. One thing he always is, is colorful. Martin Luther, the reformer, okay? Um, he said, love God and do as you please. He's also provocative. That's a provocative statement. It's been really mismanaged. But love God and do as you please. You could, you could contort that in a lot of unhealthy ways, but what he meant by that was exactly what I'm saying. We, the redeemed, as we walk by the Spirit, the desires that war within us that are not pleasing to God, we fight them, yes, but more and more and more, we want, as we walk in the life that Jesus Christ has provided for us, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body, we can do what we want to because our want to is more and more in conformity with God's precious and perfect will. That's the way Jesus walked and he walks in us. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay, so let's get to some brass tacks. The war, point one. The war is really just this. If you look at the structure of this text that Nathaniel read, there's a back and forth. He starts with talking about don't devour each other. And then he says, By a con- on the contrary, walk in the spirit. For it, it doesn't, it wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit, and the two don't want anything to do with each other. And then he goes through this list of all of the works of the flesh, these nasties that I'm sure none of us can identify with. Envy, hatred, jealousy, all these things, sexual sins, okay? I have no idea what he's talking about there. Right. And then he goes from there to the, on the contrary, walk by the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And then he goes back into saying, he finishes with, Hey, don't bite and devour one another. Be jealous. Be proud. So there's this back and forth, not just in what Paul says, but in the way that he goes back and forth in the text. And what he's saying here is, obviously, there is a war raging in the world between those who are in the flesh and dead and enemies of God and those who are redeemed. There's also a war inside of the redeemed. There's a war inside of us if we're honest. And Paul talks about this a lot more in Romans chapter 7, which is sort of like a version of Galatians on steroids. This is magnum opus theologically. His summa theologica. And there's this battle, okay? And really, the best place to go and what Paul's doing, I think, in this text in a number of ways is he's taking us back. Where did this start? He's taking us back. He's always going back. Okay, how do we understand what Christ has brought us into? The word that points to him, the Old Testament. The scriptures, what Jesus called the scriptures. What was Jesus' Bible? The Old Testament. How can we understand Jesus? The Old Testament. It's not irrelevant. Um, Genesis 3.15. God has made everything good and put man in charge. Man rebelled against God and all creation that was under his charge cracked and was affected and was basically destroyed at that moment and has been groaning ever since. And we too groan. And God said, I told you the minute you, severed your, the minute you disobeyed me, you would sever yourself from me, and I am life itself. So you have begun to die, and that death process will completely take over. You and all that was under your dominion. And that happens. And as God is spelling out the curse, right in the middle, right in the dead middle of that curse, he steps in with a promise. And the promise is that he says, I will put enmity or hatred. I will put enmity between the woman and the serpent and between her seed and between the seed of the serpent. And that seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will crush the seed's heel. There will be a battle. And so what 
what you see there is that those, if you're trying to understand the Bible, this big, doc, this big book that's God's word to us, 66 books written over 1,500 years, that is, there's no better place, I think, to go if you want to go to one place than that verse. Because what it does is it gives us guide rails that shoot throughout the rest of the narrative of, of salvation history, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and there's a war going on between the, the woman and the serpent, between the seed of the woman, the, their line that, that God will bless and out of which he will bring Messiah, Savior, and then the seed of Satan, everyone else that's outside of God, everyone else that does not trust in God's promise. And those two lines are at war constantly, Satan against God through these seeds, and they run throughout the rest of the scriptures, and they provide a great structure, a real simple structure for us. And what Paul is saying is that we see that brought to the fore, not only in the world around us, but even inside of ourselves, the flesh, the, the old man inside of us warring against the new man that Christ has brought about. Um, and, and so one, one way to show you that is that the word enmity, if you have the ESV translated enmity, it's the third word in verse 20 in that litany of vices, the works of the flesh that Paul brings out. It's the same word um, that starts Genesis 3.15 in the Greek translation. It's the same word in the Greek, enmity. Um, and so, again, we see that, we see that raging on the on outside of us, the, 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 the war between Satan's progeny and, and God's children. We also see it inside of us. We also see it inside of us. And one thing Paul wants to avoid here, and one thing he avoids beautifully, and one thing I want you to avoid, people of God, children of God, is two, two errors. Sorry, not one, two things, two errors. And in talking about this war, Paul, he's not... He's avoiding the era of the theological era of dualism. Of dualism, which is saying, which basically says that good, evil, and good are on the same power level, and there's just this cosmic battle between them, and let's see who wins. That's not at all the Judeo-Christian view. It's not at all the scriptural view. It's not true. In Christ, Christ defeats, he crushes the head of Satan. In Christ, in Christ we win, and God is sovereign, and God is good, and God is in control, and he's working all things to their appointed ends through his man our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But there is still a war going on, and evil is real, even the evil inside of us. So the other, and the other error is perfectionism. One is dualism that puts good and evil on the same level, not at all scriptural, not at all true. And the other is perfectionism, where we can think, hey, if I, if I obey God enough in this life, if I'm faithful enough, eventually, even before I die, I won't even struggle with sin anymore. And Paul's treatment here is so real. He's saying, you have to... You, you have died to that, and you have to continue to put it to death daily. It no longer has power over you like it did. You don't have to sin anymore. But it's real, and it's crouching at your door. You must crucify it. Okay? Um, right. So that's that. That's the war. The old creation, point two. The old creation, the flesh that Paul talks about that, that runs through this passage, is from Adam. We all are born as inheritors of Adam's rebellion. Rebellion. And so we're born into sin. It's called the doctrine of original sin. We are born wanting to be in control and opposed to God at our core. So it's not just a surface level, I'm choosing bad, I'm choosing anti-God today instead of God. It's at, we're born with it at our core, this desire to do our own thing. It's plain 
Um, he, Paul uses the word, these, these list of vices that I'm about to list out, he calls them, they're evident. Another word for that is they're plain or they're obvious. These list of things, that ev- and e- they're evident. Everyone knows, he says, that they're wrong. Well, he doesn't say that, but in saying that they're plain or evident, he's saying, look, not, I'm not just saying the church knows that these things that I'm listing out, sexual immorality, orgies, jealousy, fits of rage, dissension, every single person, if we're honest, knows. Whether you love God or hate God, whether you love Jesus or hate Jesus, whether you're redeemed or just go to church and think you're saved, but you're, you know, you're heading to hell, doesn't matter. Paul says these are all plain. Everyone knows these things are terrible. They create a terrible atmosphere where people are just at, your, at their throats. No one wants to be a part of something like this. But those of us who are not in Christ are slaves to it. So it's evident. It's plain. These works are disparate. Again, this is the old creation. They're disparate. He calls them, notice, works, plural, of the flesh. They war against one another, and they cause dissensions among those that operate in the flesh. Um, they, they, they're, not, they're the opposite of cooperative. It's, a, it's terrible to be a part of groups like this. And they war also within us, okay? So they cause disunity internal division, contention, and a lot of the sins that he had that he lists out in the middle of that litany of vices from 19 through 21, you can see they just, they're all very obviously against unity. And it's torture to be part of a group, part of a family like that. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, he, it's a, a work of fiction that explores the ultimate divorce, the ultimate separation between our eternal destinations. Either There are two options, heaven and hell. And he, in his hell, it's a fictional work, but in his hell, his hell is basically pictured by people that are super focused on their own homes and their own selves, and that's it, to the exclusion of every other person around them. And what, what happens is, like the redshift universe that is actually moving out away from everything else constantly, which I think is a product of the fall. He gives this beautiful illustration of, he says, in hell, everyone else is like that too. People are constantly moving. They start together, but the first thing they do when they get to hell is they start moving out from anybody else. And so given enough time in hell, they're like miles, if not thousands of miles away from any other living person or thing. Complete isolation. And I think that's a great picture of what Paul is trying to tell us here. We're at each other's throats in the worst way, and we're isolated in the worst way. That's what the works of the flesh do, okay? Um, John Stott, he's a, a famous British pastor, preacher, theologian in the last century. He, he kind of categorizes. We're not going to go through this litany. I will spend a little more time going through the fruit. We'll take a bite out of that um, in a bit here. But there's a pattern to these categories. He, he categorizes these into four. Sex, um, self, it's really focused on self, but others are affected. Religion, um, worship, so God. Society, others, where there's dissension everywhere when you're around other people. And then drink. Um, The last couple, the last two, say drunkenness and orgies, and the orgies are really drinking parties. That's the word, the Greek word there. So um, just obvious debauchery. So, and there's no escape. Like, some of these are really obvious sins. Falling down drunk in the street, you know, egregious sexual acts with anyone you can. Others are extreme, those are hot sins. Others are very cold, respectable sins. Uh, You know, greed, envy, 
dissension, things that you can't even see that are on the inside. And so he covers the gamut here and says they're all works of the flesh and, we're, and none of them are exempt from God's power and none of them will not be punished and done away with eventually. Um, Augustine has a beautiful, beautiful, he has a succinct way of putting this sort of self-centeredness. So the categories, however you categorize them, they, they're flanked, this whole list of vices is flanked by self. It self begins the list. Um, works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, um, and then it ends the list too. So it's flanked by it's flanked by a self-centeredness. And Augustine called this incurvatus in Latin. Incurvatus se. Because we're born opposed to God, in the flesh we are curved in on ourselves. We worship ourselves. We are focused almost exclusively, I'm exclusively focused in the flesh on me. And the only, if I'm loving you, if I'm loving you, the only, if I'm doing it in the flesh, it's not for your sake, it's for mine. So I'm a devouring animal. I'm just basically devouring people and using them, even if it looks like love. Um, Mark 7, starting in verse 18, Jesus, and he said to them, Then you're also, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And this is really, really bad news. Again, I brought it up last week. I brought it up the week before. This is really bad news. What Jesus is saying is it's not our behavior that's the problem. It's all this stuff inside of us, the thing that is the, at the core of, what, of who you are, what makes you tick, your soul, it's diseased. And out of it flow all these things. So the, prob, the reason that's bad news, it's pretty obvious, but also what it means is that needs to be killed. But the problem with that is that's who I am. That's the core of my life. That's my animus. That's what when the, when the in Hebrew culture, when the heart was talked about, the heart was the seat of all that you are. Mind, emotions, body, life, affections, everything. So he's saying that has to be done away with if there's going to be any hope. You can't just put a Band-Aid on it. There's got to be a heart transplant. And the problem with that is that if the, my solution is that I have to die. That's bad. So how are we going to be, because me dying kills me, but I want to live. So how, I need new life without dying. How's that possible? I think we all know how that, we wouldn't have known before Jesus, but when Jesus comes, he shows us the genius and the overwhelming and the unconquerable love of God in that in Christ, Christ went and died in our place and represented us as a man. In Christ, we are able to die and to put to death these things. And when he rose, we rise to a new, a new life that's part of a whole new creation that has begun with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is in Christ, God has done what would have seemed, what seemed impossible before. Um, and that leads to the third point, the new creation. The new creation. Um, okay. 
I'm probably not going to walk through the, each of the fruit, uh, the fruit just because this, this gathering has been different. What I'll do is um, there's lots of good stuff on all each of the nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit that I, that I have here. Um, no time, which is fine, to dive into each of those. And so what I will do is in the email tomorrow, I'll, you know, it's about three pages. I'll just, I'll just give it to you, and you can have it, and you can read it or not. Um, so I pray, that, I pray that blesses you. But let me talk about a few things about this new creation that, that helped tie this passage up uh, and lead us out of Galatians. So life in the Spirit, um, that's really what flanks this passage, um, life in the Spirit. If you look at verse, I believe it's 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And look how he closes. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. So that frames the passage. It's called an inclusio or an inclusion. Um, it's a frame. It's a literary frame, and it's telling us this is what the passage is about. Yes, it's about a war, and he mentions the old creation, but really what he's saying is, hey, I've been preaching the gospel, and now I'm going to tell you the key to the Christian life is life in the Spirit. It's walking. It's keeping in step. A great book by J.I. Packer. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's walking with the Spirit and keeping in step with Him. Um, in verse 16, again, walk by or with the Spirit. That verb is the, it's the common verb for walking. And what it really, again, Paul's always going back to the Old Testament. He's always going, he's, he's doing what theologians call protology. What's the word that was spoken that has to do with this, what Paul's saying before? Well, it was in Genesis, again. And, and in Genesis, you have death that takes over humanity and it takes over creation. And what happens in Genesis 6 Eventually, I'm there in my quiet time right now, eventually it's this catastrophic, you think Harvey was bad, it's this catastrophic event where God says, I'm wiping the slate clean, humanity has become so evil to the core, there's so much rebellion, that the only way to save humanity and make good on my promise to restore all things is to do away with everyone that hates me to the core and to save one family, Noah. And there are two people, there's this long list of, of this line, this genealogy from Adam, of, of people that fill the earth. And it takes us all the way to Noah. And in that list, it's a list of death. If you go and read Genesis 5, it's really boring. And you go, what is the point of this? One, it's, it shows this is historical. It's not just a story. It's history. It happened. Number two, it shows us that what ha- the results of Adam and Eve's rebellion is this. It's a death roll. It's a death roll. Every time, it's like a death toll. You just hear the bell clanging every time um, a name is mentioned because it says, here, this guy had this, these people, and then he died. And this guy had these people, and he died. And God made everything good, and he didn't make us to die, but the whole chapter list with, runs with, and he died. And he died. And he lived 962 years. They lived a long time before the flood. And he lived 962 years, and he died. So no matter how long you live, you die. That's your, that's your end. And it's not supposed to be like that. And that's what Moses, who wrote the book, is saying, it's not supposed to be like this. It's gotten really bad. But in that roll call, in that litany, there are two standouts. There are two people of whom it is said, he walked with God. Enoch and Noah. Enoch, it says, he doesn't end with, and he died. And it, which is a shock, because you're used to, he died, he died, he died. And Enoch walked with God, whoa, that's a break. And he was not, for God took him. God takes Enoch to be with himself, just like he takes Elijah later in 1 Kings. And Noah 
is the one through whom God will save creation. Through whom he's the, Noah's the reason you're here. So thank Noah sometime when you get to heaven. Noah's the reason you're here. God is, but God used Noah. So um, there's a sense in which life is connected to both of these. In life, it reminds us of something that someone said earlier. I can't remember. I think it was Justin. Uh, it's amazing how all this is tied together so well. But somebody said, you know, what we are created for is to walk with God. That's what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He came for his daily walk and found that they had, he knew this, but he was, he was asking them questions to pull them out and to give them a chance to reconcile. But he said, hey, where are you? He's coming for his daily walk in the cool of the day to walk with them, to talk with them, to know them, to be known by them, to be in relationship. That's what he made us for, to be in relationship with him. That's what we're made for. That's why it's the most important thing in our lives. To, relationships are what it's all about. God made us for that. That's why that's the case. For, with him first and then with everyone else around us, Okay. Um, but he made us for relationship with him. And what Paul is saying, now all that to say, that's his, that's his protology that he's drawing on. He's saying God in Christ has brought us back to what he made us for. To walk with him in step, to know him, not just keep in step with the spirit. I mean, that, that, seems, kind of, that seems kind of facile, doesn't it? Like, like, we're in, like we're walking in line and it's, no, he's saying relationship. You were made originally for a relationship. You screwed that up big time. You dropped a bomb on that through Adam, and you have been in Adam. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, has come. And when he rose from the dead, he, one, brought you back into the reason you were created for God, to walk with God and to know God and to be known by God and to be loved without condition. God sees to your core, and he knows all of your sins, and he loves you anyway, and he's covered them in Christ, and he's buried them and risen, and you are alive in him if you trust in Jesus. Okay? And he's also, Paul was saying, when you walk with the Spirit, you're walking with God, but you're also entering into a completely new creation, a new thing that God is doing. It doesn't just touch your inner life. It's not, it doesn't just mean you're going to go to heaven someday. It means that heaven is going to come down to earth and God is going to remake and restore everything. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more Harvey. There will be no more sin struggle. And we will see God face to face. Jesus Christ is a man, remains a man, will always be a man. We will get to hug God in Christ as a man. And, and we will get to sup with him and with others forever and build an adventure and judge and and have the time of our lives without end, where every, as Lewis said, every page is better than the one before it. And what we experience in this earth is essentially, Lewis, C.S. Lewis says, the cover and the title page. The real adventure, this is just a tiny down payment of what's coming. The real adventure starts, starts when Christ comes again and makes all things new. And we, if we're in Christ, get to be a part of that. And another thing he's saying here, friends, is that, Again, drawing on the corpus of what he says and of the whole Old Testament, the Spirit of God inside of me, inside of you. Jesus says, what does he say in the Gospels to his disciples? He says, hey, I'm heading out of here. I've got to do this work. I came to die. I'm going to the cross, but on the third day I'm going to rise, and then I'm going to go be with the Father. And they're like, they're, you can just see their faces just drop. That doesn't say their faces drop, but his reaction after that shows you they're like, because they love this guy. I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now with a few of you in here, and last night I was in the part where Aragorn uh, walks through, he's about to, in fact, he's doing it now, he's walking through Dunharrow, the place of the dead, 
He's the king. And, and, and one of the, Eowyn, one of the maidens of Rohan, of Rohan says, they're not following you for any other reason than that they love you and they would follow you even unto death. And these men, these men, that's, that's the way they feel about Jesus. They have seen God with a body and how all these things, he's the, he is the essence of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, utterly non-incurvatus say, utterly outward focused, utterly secure, totally humble, who gives himself away completely for the benefit of others. Can you imagine what amazing company somebody like that? And ferocious toward those who, I mean, so humble and so gentle with those that need tender care, and then with those who act like they love God, but they're pompous and arrogant and they are all about themselves, he is ferocious with them. Like, doesn't back down to anyone that we would normally be scared of. That kind of man, they love him with all their hearts. And then he comes and says, I'm leaving. And so they all, huh. And he says this. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, good news. I'm going to send you the helper. You don't understand. When I send you the helper, who is the spirit that Paul's talking about, the one that we are to keep in step with. The spirit of God, twice in the New Testament, is called the spirit of Christ. Okay, what is that? This is the very breath. Just as Jesus is the word of God, he is the, very, he is the articulation of who God is. The spirit is the breath of God. He is the life of God. He is God himself. You will have me, Jesus, in you. That's why we did listening prayer this morning. Jesus is in you. You can, he knows your inner thoughts and feelings without you even having to say a word. There is the sweetest of, and most meaningful of fellowship with this God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come up afterwards and I want to pray for you. Because it is the sweetest, it was what we are made for. And it's just going to get better and better and better. And what Jesus is saying is, here's the mind blower. And then I'll say maybe one or two more things and then I'm done, Okay. Here's a mind blower. He says this. He says, it's better for you. I know you're sad now because I said I'm leaving, and I am going to leave. But I'm going to send you the helper, and it's better for you because of that that I leave. What? So I'm going to ask you a question, a diagnostic, to see if you, if you actually believe this passage, if you actually believe Jesus. Are you, if, if, if we had Jesus right next to me right here, he is a man. He will return a man. If we had the man, the person Jesus right here in the flesh with us, would you be more excited about that and more glad for that than the fact that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you now? And I have to say, in my honest moment, I would probably raise my hand and say, yeah, I'd be more glad. You know what that is? That's, that shows, to the degree I would be more glad, that shows that I really don't fully believe that it's better that I have the spirit of Christ in me now better for you that I go, because when I go, I won't just be beside you anymore. How close can Jesus the man get to me without a spirit? This close, like we could bump shoulders, we could even hug, but I can't like pull him into me. But the spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the sweetness of that fellowship, the depth of knowing, the power of transformation that's available. And I have to end with that because of time, but I will say it's it's limitless, and it will not stop until you're finished. That is the hope. Not because of how great you are, but because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That is your hope. 
And that is your power, your power for fighting sin. And Paul talks about it. He's like, hey, fight that. Comes from the fact that it is already, you have, you've already died to sin because Christ was crucified and died. And by faith, you have, attached, you have been attached to Jesus. The power of sin in your life is gone. Therefore, you can fight and should fight. And if you're not fighting, and if there's not fruit, then you're not his. The good news there is that, one, you might know that for the first time because I just said it. And two, if once you know that, you can come to him and believe on him and cast yourself upon him and be saved. What Paul ends this passage with is, don't be proud. Why? That seems like a weird finish. Because sin cannot keep us from the living God. He has provided a way for sinners like us to be with him. It's called Jesus. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. Not Yahweh plus a little bit of your own effort. Not Yahweh plus Justin. Not Yahweh plus me. Not Yahweh plus Paul. God saves. Yahweh, the covenant God. And Jesus is an expression of that. He's done everything necessary for you. If you're a sinner and you realize, I'm a sinner, the next thing is, Jesus died for me. That's all it takes. There's hope for you if you're a sinner. But if you remain proud, that's the one thing that can keep you from God. Pride. Because pride says, I don't need help. And that will send you straight to hell, friend. That mentality and that mentality alone. The first step toward God, toward life with God is, I need help. I'm a sinner. I can't do it. You've done it for me. That's it. That's where life begins with God. And where it ends is a new creation. In you, all around you, all this stuff's going to disappear. All this fight, all this Harvey, all this cancer, all this sadness it's going to come, in the words of Sam Gamgee, another character in The Lord of the Rings, maybe the hero, it's going to come untrue. All this sadness, it's going to come untrue. And let me finish with this verse. Better to finish with Paul's words than mine. Six, since we're skipping chapter six, Galatians six, verse 15. Let this be the benediction over our series and over this sermon. For neither circumcision counts for anything. In other words, your law keeping doesn't count for anything. Nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation. And that in Christ Jesus. Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that we can call you Father. It's only because of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're not investments. We're sons and daughters. You've done it all. Everything necessary for us, Lord, send to hell and crucify everything in us that says anything other than that, that says I can do it, I can contribute. No, to hell with that. You did it all. Help us to come to you as we are and to receive all of you for all of us. Make us new. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.